This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Hello, it's the Chelsea Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow, and the Chelsea Fancast. That's Stamford Chidge, David Chidgey, and we've got a special guest in the studio. We're very lucky. Tim Rolls, author of Stamford Bridge is Falling Down, a sensational book talking about Chelsea's decline from Euro Cup winners to relegation from the years of 1971 to 1975. Must have been a very tough time to be a Chelsea fan. I think it was. I didn't actually go to games regularly then, but I think it was because things were so positive. And then within four years, the club had been relegated and they almost went bust. So it was a pretty tough time. Well, I wasn't. I was born, sadly. I'm not that as young as I'd like to think I was, but I wasn't very old. I mean, I, I missed that period, really. You're lucky. Um yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, 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 as you'll discover later, it was a fascinating time in the club's history. I mean, the first uh, time I went to Stamford Bridge was, was 1976, and it wasn't a Chelsea match, believe it or not. But uh, I didn't really start going, you know, more regularly in, until the, the 80s. So I missed out on all of that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a history lesson from Tim tonight, <laughs> because Chelsea do have history, apparently. We do. Yeah. We, weren't, we weren't formed in 2003. Exactly. Contrary <laughs> to the chance. Is there any part of you that looks at the current era and the possibility of an Abramovich loss of interest and thinks that the club could decline again? Not, not to that extent. I, I just don't think that for the best people had the best intentions, but they overstretched themselves in redeveloping the ground. They let the team fall down, and I really don't see under the current owner that that would happen. If he chooses to sell up, then I'm sure there'd be other buyers, and they wouldn't let it happen either. I, I really don't. When I mean, Chelsea. The, the crowds fell by 40, 50% in, uh, in, in three or four years. I just don't see that happening. Well, I, I, I'm not so sure about the crowds. I, I could see, uh, you know, for various other reasons as well, actually. I could see there being an issue with that. 
the moot point is, does it matter anymore with the TV money? And I agree with Tim entirely. I, I think what, what Roman has done is he's, you know, put us up to a level now where even if he did go, and I mean, you know, the press kind of salivate at the prospect of him going all the time, don't they? But if he did, we're now a kind of club, thanks to him and what he's done, that will just be bought by somebody similarly or even more rich. Well, so Jim Ratcliffe is one name well, who's go. been mooted. There you go. There's a case in point, you know, but there are plenty others. I mean, the Chinese are always looking to invest in clubs as well. So it could even be state funded. So, you know, because of what Roman has done in the last 15 years, we, I don't think, are in danger of anything like what no. happened in 75 happening again. No. Mm. And of course, for now, Abramovich very much invested in the very literal sense into Chelsea Football Club. You've made some signings. Kovacic, Who knew, for one, Johnny? Who transfer knew? ban, and yet... Apparently, we've spent more money, OK, on transfers this uh, window... Uh, than Arsenal have in a time when we're not actually able to make transfers. How does that happen? It's always good. Yeah, well, I, I get, gather get, it... get your jibes in quick. <laughs> well, it's the pre-existing clauses in contracts, Chidge, which is all entirely legal. I know. Well, he's well apparently, of course, because he's already registered to us, and of mm. course, this is what people you know lose in translation. It's got nothing to do with transfers. It's actually about registration of players, and because he was already registered to us, although he is registered to us until July the first. So I think that's what Monday, Tuesday. Is it Monday or Tuesday? I can't remember anyway. Whatever. Next week. So we have to confirm that we are going to keep him right. and pay Real Madrid some money before Just then. Just before. Yeah. Wonderful That's stuff. What I understand. You're dying to talk about the football on the telly, aren't you? I am a quick update from the Women's World Cup. It's a massive goal for the USA. It is yeah. 1-0 to the Americans against the hosts, France. And Megan Rapino has been no stranger, really, to the front and back pages this tournament. She's been in fantastic form. She's also picked a quite a spectacular scrap with her own president with good reason and she has given her nation well, the league she I, won't be in the white house but she could be a world mate, cup I, i've got to say is it what's her name again rapino yeah, what's her first name megan megan i'm in love with megan rapino are you because i've I, got I, some sad news for well, you I, I don't care i'll take on all comers because i saw i saw her press conference today and she eviscerated trump mm. without doing it directly she's clearly an incredibly intelligent young woman and, 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 you know, over and above the talent that she's got on the pitch, I thought, wow, this is the woman for me, even though I'm married and she is too, I suspect. But mm. Well, actually, the argument with Trump and Rapino comes partly because of the Trump administration's attitude to LGBTQ oh. plus so you, issues. You, what you're trying to tell me is that I, she's, uh, she's out of my league or I'm out of her league. I think okay. we'll go for a, a mutual well, inaccessibility, Jim. You know... <laughs> If you ever watched a wonderful film, uh, Some Like It Hot, wasn't it? Remember yep. that film? With that My dad's favourite film. Yeah, with Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis in drag. And there's that... Trying the very, to woo Marilyn the, Monroe. The very rich, um, rich guy called Oscar, wasn't it? In the boat, that wonderful scene. And Jack Lemmon fesses up to being a man. And he says, it's OK, we, 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 I can't have children. It's OK, we'll adopt some. I'll, I'll take that attitude with uh, Megan Rapinoe. <laughs> OK, so well, we'll, well, we'll try and you get better, in touch better with let her, her know. You better let her know. You See know. what we Not can now, do. Not now, because obviously she's playing in a football match. Obviously, you know, and, and scoring, of course. In terms of the Kovacic trench transfer, regardless of the complexities of getting it over the line, it's done. Are you pleased with him as a player? That's a good point. What do you reckon, Tim? Well, I think he's probably not an ideal signing if, if you had you could get any midfield player in the world. But I think the argument is that he does a job that whoever the manager is, and I'm sure we'll come to the, the manager a bit later on, he's, he's, he's a known quantity. 
And it's either by him or by nobody. So it, it will strengthen the squad compared with what it would have been. I can't, you know, whether he's worth 40 million quid or whatever, I, don't, I, I really don't know. But, um, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think the money these days is, is spurious, isn't it? Because, I mean, how much do we pay for Danny Drinkwater? You know? 35 million. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think the money's irrelevant these days. But I think given the situation that Chelsea are in, the fact that they actually can't or won't be making, you know, any transfer, they won't be able to own Barney players... Um, given the fact that the likes of Loftus Cheek are, are, are going to be out for at least half of the season, um, I think it's a it's it's a good idea to have cover. And I think I think you know Kovacic, in a sense, a bit like Higuain and Jorginho, was guilty by association because he was seen as a player that Sarri wanted. Uh, but also, of course, let's be really honest, he he didn't really impress that much last season. But then again. Uh, perhaps he wasn't being played in his right position or perhaps the instructions he was being given by Sarri weren't really suitable for him. Maybe there's a better player in there waiting to come out and a different manager might get that out of him. Are you worried about the fact that he doesn't seem to want to shoot ever? Well, well I, I think, think he does that... want to shoot, doesn't he? He just can't do it very well. <laughs> well I mean, he's not a great goal-scoring machine and I think that's the problem with the midfield generally that um, Kante isn't, Jorginho isn't. Barkley could be and maybe it would be interesting to see if and how Barkley plays this season. I think it got farcical, the, the Barkley-Kovacic substitution 69th minute situation. <laughs> well, it, if Kovacic stays, there's yeah. always, we, can, we can revisit that. We can, we can we? revisit that. But I, I think they probably, you're right, with, with, with Loftus-Cheek out, with Hudson-Odoi out, I think it made sense to strengthen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long the contract is. I'm guessing it's three years, but that's meaningless as well. Well, I think, you know, one, one thing we've seen far too much of, I think, recently is, is, is putting out, you know, promising players or, 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 or kind of moribund players out on loan only for others to get injured and then suddenly you see the squad weaken. So I, I think the fact that they're, they're not just going, oh, well, you know, let him go is sensible. And I, th- I, think, I think everything that is happening at the moment, uh, and if it isn't, it certainly should be, is geared to the fact that we can't buy players for a year. Mm. And of course, this signing has been made before at least the official announcement of a new manager. I think we all know it's going to be yes, super Rafa, Frankie Rafa Lampard. Benitez, Rafa Benitez, <laughs> a real fan favourite. Martin O'Neill, I believe, on the market <laughs> as of this afternoon. Very, very true. If it is Lampard, <laughs> is he the right man for the job? Um, I think he's the right man at the right time. I mean, I think, you know, let's be under no illusion here. Uh, he's had one year uh, managerial experience, which is not really enough to manage a, a club like Chelsea. But I think there are a lot of things that are kind of, uh, you know, making the stars align. Uh, one of them is the is the stink that was created by the previous manager, certainly inside the ground. The club, Tim and I were talking about this actually when we were having a, a, a quick shandy in the pub before. A glass of orange juice. Glass of, well, actually, Tim did have a glass of orange <laughs> soda. Uh, it was me letting the side down. But, you know, we were saying that for some bizarre reason, the club clearly do care about what some supporters think. Because is that not encouraging? Uh, yes, I, I'd like to. Th- yeah, I mean, I'd be churlish if I if I said no, wouldn't I? Because I'd like to think that we have some influence and sway. But you know, getting Lampard in is clearly a sop to a lot of the supporters because he's he's arguably our greatest ever player. He's very very well liked. He'll certainly um, something we'll talk about later. I think actually as well. But we'll certainly give him the backing. Uh, that we wouldn't perhaps give to a lot of other managers. So I can see it for that reason. And who's to say he won't be any good? Well, my caveat would be that that there's two things that worry me. One is Manchester United appointed Solskjaer. I think 
because it, was, it would have been popular with the support. There seemed no logical reason to do it, mm. but they, they did it. And the wheels are starting to come off, I think, at Old Trafford and yeah. may well continue to do so for a year, 18 months. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that Lampard's not a no, better no, manager, exactly. but the, there's that. But the, the risk is there. Yeah. The, the, other the, con- the risk is there for yeah. any man. Look, yeah. look how rubbish Scolari was yeah. an AVB. You but know. The, the other concern, I guess, is that always when Chelsea have sacked managers under Abramovich, be, the the club hierarchy, or particularly the owner, has sort of managed to stand back from that. I think if it if it went horribly wrong with Lampard and they had to get rid of him after eighteen months, I think they may find that Lampard's more popular than the owner, mm. possibly. Mm. And, and what that's is horribly dynamic. wrong, Tim? Well, I think he, whoever gets the job has to have a free pass this year. If we can't buy players and we're having to play play youngsters, then to be honest, if we had a, a couple of decent cup runs and a top six. Even a Europa League place would be would be pretty good. I think the problem would come the following season, when we can hopefully spend big in twelve months' time. If if things didn't happen, I happen to believe that Lampard, you know, with a fair wind, can can do extremely well. But there's no guarantee of that. You know, it's it's a tough game. He's done well at Derby, but he's not proven at uh, Premiership level. So, you know, but I can see why they why they would do it because he is popular. And I think that they, they had a problem with Sarri. And I think that from the club's point of view, they, they, there wasn't much positivity around in the, that some games. There was a huge negativity. That will all go. It will go from day one. It will go from the pre-season friendlies and the visit to Old Trafford, first home game. It will be nothing but positivity about, about Lampard. Uh, I think, yeah, I agree with all of that. I mean, the other thing I would say is that, you know, there's a, there's a case to be said or made that, uh, a lot of managers recently at Chelsea have fallen out with the players or the players have fallen out with them or they're not having it from the manager or whatever. If you've got a... And, and, and this is really... I find this a fascinating subject anyway, actually, about the way that football management has changed in recent years where, you know, the players are very different animals to the ones that they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. And there is... They have the power. They are huge assets of the football club. They know it. Their agents know it. And... Uh, you know the manager is only one man, so it's easy to easier to dispose of him than it is ten players. Now, the other thing is is that a lot of these managers are significantly older than a lot of these players, and they treat them in a way that they don't like to be treated. Frank has only recently stopped playing. He achieved everything you can achieve playing at that club. He's an absolute legend. A lot of the players were, I mean, you know, David Luiz, uh, you know, played under him in the Champions League final at 2012. So they will know him. They're, they're very much like to respect him for what he achieved in the game. And I think that that might be a really important asset for the club. And then, of course, there's the whole youth argument with Jody Morris yep. because of the experience that he had coaching a lot of them. So I, I see lots of positives in it. Mm, absolutely. A very exciting time to be a Chelsea fan. More exciting, perhaps, than 1971. Coming up, let's talk about Tim Roll's exciting new book, Stamford Bridge is Falling Down. This is Love Sport. Chelsea fan show. Frank Lampard set to be appointed. If he does badly... Are the fans going to turn on Super Frank? No. It's almost inconceivable that the, the fact he's so popular with, with match going fans and non match going fans, and there is a difference, that I think, regardless of what happens, he won't get the blame. You won't get chants against him. You won't get demonstrations against him. In any context? No. No. Ever? No. Why? Because. Why would, why would we? He's the greatest player we've ever had. They would blame the club. They yeah. would blame whatever. Sack the board. You might find sack the board. <laughs> you, you, seriously, you, you're more likely to get sack the board chance than sack Lampard chance. 
Yeah, I just don't think it's going to happen. And I, I mean, the reason I was quite keen to talk about this, Johnny, was that all week I've been listening to various, uh, you know, uh, sports media networks, this one included. Uh, of course, obviously, I listen to this one exclusively, really. Uh, but the point is, is that I've heard pundits all over the place uh, talking about this, saying, oh, well, you know, I can understand why it's a good idea to, you know, to have Lampard now for all the reasons that we talked about a minute ago. But, you know... You know, and the results don't don't go Chelsea's way, and it all goes a bit Pete, Pete Tong. All the fans are going to be on his back and wanting him out, and and doing what we did to Sarri, basically. What planet are they living on? What planet are they living on? I mean, it's just mental. Nobody's going to do that. Frank Lampard is a legend at Chelsea Football Club, and he will get the supporters' support. Period. Yeah, for as long as he's manager, he will get the support. Is there not a concerning angle to this though, where if the fans will never turn? And if we're more likely to hear sack the board than we are sack Lampard, could we be dealing with a dictatorship? Well, we already are, aren't we? What, in terms of Roman Abramovich? Yeah. I mean, I mean that in the nicest possible way. I mean, he's a benign dictator. But he is. It's his train set. Always has been. If you don't, if you don't realise that, then you need to, you know, wake I mean, up. He's not going to stay forever. And at some point, he may choose to leave or the club may, may choose to get rid of him. But... They really cannot afford to get into a seven-month sacking like they did with Scolari mm. or with Villas-Boas. They really cannot because it will not be Lampard that the, 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 the resentment is against. It will be against the club board. And I think your point's really fascinating, actually. Uh, and this is the first time that the club will have done this because you're right. You know, Re- you, Roman, you, quite rightly too, Roman gets universal support from, I'd say, 90% of supporters because they recognise you know, what he's done for the club, and, and, and as I said, quite rightly so. But that will be challenged by the appointment of Frank Lampard because I suspect most supporters will have more love for Lampard than anybody else, you know. So it'll be interesting to see what happens as and when that happens. And let's face it, it will happen. You know, death and taxes and getting fired as a football manager are about the only certainties <laughs> in life, aren't they? Especially Chelsea football Exactly. Managers. And it's usually after about 14 months. I mean, we were saying again earlier on, weren't we, that, you know, free pass this year... Next year, money to spend, but they need to see how that works. They need to kind of look at it in a more organic way than they have done in the past. And maybe Lampard's that man, maybe because of the political dynamics that we're talking about. Mm, interesting. In terms of political dynamics at Chelsea, it was really more complex than in the <laughs> early 70s. Tim, your book, Stamford Bridge, is falling down. You've told me it's 99.9% written, yep. which is extremely exciting to hear but what was the idea behind it right well a few years ago or a couple of years ago i wrote a book about chelsea under tommy doherty in the late 60s and chelsea under at the end of the day underachieved then and i've always been more interested in failure than success so i started thinking about the early 70s when chelsea went from being the most glamorous team in the country they won the fa cup in 1970 and the cup winners cup a year later and four years later they were relegated, the best players had left, the manager had been sacked, and the, the club almost went bust. So why did that happen? And it started, actually, from a, from a conversation, as things often do, in a pub beer garden, talking about why we sold a guy called Keith Weller, who in 1971 was Chelsea's leading scorer. And we sold him for £100,000. To Millwall, or no, he wasn't Millwall? To, he wasn't Millwall, came to Chelsea, and we sold him to Leicester for the same amount of money that we bought... Chris Garland for. Now, Weller went on to play for England and, and was much loved by the, the, the support, and, and Garland didn't. And then you start to look at it 
And, and what else did we do? We bought other players and then we stopped buying players. Because, and the reason, reason was because the, the board decided that we were going to be the biggest club in England. So what they needed to do was redevelop the ground, despite the fact they didn't have the money. Because they thought that because we had a successful team, people would keep coming and that, that would pay for the, pay for the, um, for the stadium. Fortunately, what happened was the team went into, in decline. The two most high-profile players, Peter Osgood and Alan Hudson, fell out with Dave Sexton, the manager. They left... The team got worse. The crowds dissipated, you know, 30, 40% in a, in, a, in a couple of seasons. And there was no money to buy new players because all the money was going to pay for the stand. And a year later, they, they basically got, they got relegated and they were very, very close to going, to going bust. How close were they to going busted? Well, some of that happened after the period I've written about, but they were there were meetings with the bank where Chelsea were, were that close to, to, to going into to being in, insolvent because they didn't have um, the, the the financial backing that they needed for a project at this time. They just thought that forty thousand crowds would continue to come in, and the crowds fell to twenty five thousand. Mm. So you know they they were in. They they just made some and in those days that's where the money yeah came that, from, that's where the money yeah. that, that's the point worth making there was all TV money was like two hundred pounds to be shown on the big match or match of the day literally two hundred pounds <laughs> Brian Clough well, that, that is that is amazing Brian, about, Brian Clough once refused to have Derby County on Monday on Wednesday night highlights for a League Cup game because they were getting eleven pounds for the highlights. <laughs> so Clough refused to let the, the crew... That's the team. There was no sponsorship. There was Mind very you, different... £11 in 73 yeah. was probably worth about a million so now, right? So <laughs> you, you had a situation where the, the club just... They, they got it spectacularly wrong in a sort of financial sense. I mean, no one did it deliberately. The, the, the ground was in a very poor condition. It did need redeveloping. But the sensible thing to have done would have been to got more backers in, ex- extended the board and, and done it more sensibly. But they... For whatever reason, they didn't do that. And the, the, the crux of the book, really, is that the team fell apart just when the club needed it to be successful. So they, mm. lost, the, 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 they lost revenue. The, the, because of the political situation in the country, the, there was a builder's strike, there was a three-day week. The stand that should have been open within a year took two years to build. It was supposed to cost under a million. It cost anything between 1.5 and 2 million pounds Rampant depending inflation depends on who right. on who you talk to yeah there was inflation was nearly 20% so you know everything that could go wrong did go wrong now had the team continued to be successful maybe they'd have got away with it but it wasn't and and when you sell your best players and you don't replace them then and and you sack the manager um Dave Sexton who had brought brought in trophies and they had to play kids who were <coughs> excuse me, two years later got the team promoted. Ray Wilkins, Gary Stanley, excellent players, but not ready mm. at that stage at seventeen eighteen. Are, to be- are there parallels with Chelsea now? You've solved your best player, you're not allowed to replace him, you're gonna have to play kids who aren't quite proven. No. You've sacked a manager no. who won you a trophy. No, because the likes of William and Pedro are a lot better than Bill Garner, and Chris Garland, and <laughs> no, <Tommy> really, <laughs> you tell that to the youth on the Twitter platform, they uh, won't believe you. And, you know, there were there were structural problems with yeah. the team. The defence wasn't, you know, Chelsea are much stronger now, sort of on the field. Um, but they, you know, as, a, as an example of, of Chelsea, they needed to buy a centre forward because a guy called Ian Hutchinson was all, was a great player, was always injured. So they bought a guy called Bill Garner from Southend for £100,000. 
which is money they didn't have, because he played well against us in a League Cup tie. Two weeks later, Frank Worthington, who played for England, was bought by Leicester City for 80000 and so we, even the players we bought weren't, weren't good players. I, I like the point that you made there, that we bought a player because he scored against <laughs> us or yep. played well against yep. us in a match. Yep. We, we've been doing that ever yep. since. No, I mean, you know, Torres, yep. to but name but one. We, we bought players that weren't as good as the players, players that went. So Weller yeah. went, Hudson went, Osgood went. David Webb, who was the heart of the team, was sold to QPR. Yeah. And gradually people just, the good players went. I mean, I, I get a sense. I mean, you know, we, we did... I mean, the thing that, that, that I don't understand, which I, I'm hoping you can, you know, fill in the, the, the blanks in my knowledge here, Tim, but, you know, we did... That, that We had a great team that was really created by Tommy Doherty in the 60s, um, the Kings of the Kings Road team, which was beginning to get a bit old and mm. passed its sell-by date, 72, yeah, probably, yeah. I would say. But at the same time, we'd also been cultivating a really, really good youth setup. I mean, we'd won the Youth Cup in the early 60s. Yeah. There was a real, uh, there was a system at Chelsea where youngsters came through, Alan Hudson being mm. a, a perfect example, and there are others. It seems to me that um, this is all very much an accident of timing, in a sense. In other words, had uh, they may- managed to hang on for another couple yep. of years, they could have done this organically and had some of the, the great players from the old uh, Kings of the Kings yep. Road team and then integrated the likes of Wilkins and Gary Stanley, who would be a couple of years yep. older by then and perhaps better players. No, I mean, had that happened, then they would probably have got away with it. Yeah. But it just didn't. There was a chasm between 1973 and 75, which ended in, in relegation because mm. they had to play. I mean, Sexton got sacked. They got a guy called Ron Suett as as manager. He didn't really work out, got moved sort of upstairs as general manager. Eddie McCready came in yeah. with three games to go, but it was too late. They were going to be relegated. He he played the kids and he played the kids for the two years afterwards while he was manager, but they weren't quite ready. And, and if to be honest, if we'd stayed up in 1975, we'd have gone down the following season. So, uh, you know, the, the wheels had come off sort of two years before that, to be honest. I mean, how, you know, talking of the players and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about one of them, I think, in a little bit more depth in a minute, but... You know, who are the key kind of characters and, and, and what are the key stories involved in the book? And I would imagine that the likes of Osgood and Alan Hudson uh, feature quite prominently. Yeah, I mean, there was an issue that some of the key players, Osgood Hudson, Charlie Cook, Tommy Baldwin, had an active social life. And the manager... <laughs> we, we'll, I'll Is that in that. inverted commas? That's in inverted Tommy commas. Tommy Baldwin's nickname was The Sponge, uh, yeah. wasn't it? And, 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 and I've got, found a quote from the time from, from Alan Hudson saying that it was very difficult because he kept getting invited to the Playboy Club on Friday nights. I've got exactly that problem and I have to say, <laughs> now I'm really sorry, I'm doing the Chelsea fan show. Yeah, so, true. Yeah, but but he, he was playing football sort of 18 hours later. So you had that with a, a, a very... A, a manager who could not understand why people were, were wasting their talent by partying all week when, he, as far as he was concerned, they were professional football was the best job in the world. So there was a dispute between them. You had old school players like Ron Harris, John Hollins, Peter Bonetti and Peter Houseman who weren't really part of the um, the sort of socialising cabal. Um, but it did, it did cause uh, problems. Osgood got transfer listed... And there were demonstrations about that. In, it was in 1971. Um, demonstration, front page of the Evening Standard. Demonstrations. De- demonstrations, front page of the Evening Standard. Yeah. A guy called Jeff Padgett organised a demonstration, got on the front page of the Evening Standard. How many Standard. people were there? Well, only about 20 or 30, but that wasn't. The, it was an overnight. Okay, right, they right. stayed all night, and it got it got a lot of um, a, a lot of publicity. 
because these we'll come to Osgood later, but he was very popular. Hudson came through the ranks. He was a local boy, very, very popular. Charlie Cook, one of the most talented players after George Best in England, very popular. And they all fell out with the manager. Cook left in 1972. The others left 18 months later. They Carry on. Yeah, they got, they got dropped after a, a Christmas 1973. Alan Hudson allegedly turned up drunk um, for a game, a, a Boxing Day morning game against West Ham. It's Boxing um, Day. Boxing Day. Yeah. <laughs> Boxing Day morning. So well, he probably was then. He may. He may have been. But <laughs> uh, and they lost that four-two after being two-nil up. They lost at home to Liverpool. Hudson dropped. Sorry, Sexton dropped. Hudson, Baldwin, Osgood, and Peter Benetti, the goalkeeper. Hudson and Osgood refused to train with the first team, so they got sold. Tommy Baldwin went on holiday in the middle of the season without telling the club <laughs> because he could. He got suspended. Ian Hutchinson did the same. You know, the club was out of control. Yeah. To be fair to the board, to the chairman, Brian Mears, at this point, he backed Sexton against Osgood, against Hudson. They were sold. The quality, they were very popular. They were top quality players when, when it suited them. And they were not replaced. Right, okay. So there was, a, there was an issue they weren't called the Kings of the Kings Road for nothing. No, indeed. Well, there were some very top quality players in that group. And coming up, let's find out why one of them was quite so special. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the Chelsea Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio, and it's time for your Legend of the... And given we're discussing Tim Roll's fantastic book, Stamford Bridge is Falling Down, who have you chosen this week? Well... We were talking about this, and we thought the obvious one was the man who wasn't the king of Stamford Bridge, Peter Osgood, who, between sort of 1965 and 74, 
was the most high pro, high profile player for Chelsea had. He was the star of the team. He was a he was a on his day he was a great player. He didn't have a great day every day unfortunately. But when he did, when he when he when he could be bothered to and when he was in the mood, he was he was unstoppable. He was 150 goals in 250 games or something. So 380. 380 games, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but definitely 150 goals. I think he's what... It's, it's all changed, because I think, thanks to mm. Frank getting up there and Deedee yep. and people like that. But fourth on our all-time list? I maybe? think he's fourth on the all-time yeah. list. But the thing about him, he scored goals in the 1970 Cup Final, yes. the 71 Cup Winners' Cup Final, 72 League Cup Final. First he scored big goals. It. scored big goals in big games. He scored in every round of the 1970 FA Cup. He came in the team at 18, brought in by Tommy Doherty. And he broke his leg a year later at, at 19. Had he not broken his leg? Because he, when he broke his leg, he, he put on weight, and it, which he never really lost. He would have been arguably England's greatest player of the late 60s and early 70s. He was still very good, but he wasn't quite as good. But he, he could play up front. He could play in midfield. He, his, his touch, his, his, his heading... He had a, a nasty side to him. I mean, he, he, it was a more physical game then. He didn't like Leeds United. Who fair did? to say. He didn't like Billy Bremner or Johnny Giles or any of them. Did he karate them. kick one of them in the no, cup that was No, that was Eddie McCready who karate Eddie kicked McCready. him. But Osgood was, you know, he did get suspended once for eight games for six bookings in a season. I mean, it was much more draconian then. And he did fall out with um, the England manager, Alf Ramsey, who thought he was too much of a, of a playboy. But he was loved, loved by the support. Because he, you know, again, and that's an interesting point, actually, that in those days, the link between the fans and the players was so yeah. much greater. And, you know, if they weren't playing on the pitch, they'd be drinking with you in the pub and watching from the terraces. I mean, the, you know, the only difference between the, the, the supporters and the players is that they had a lot more talent, usually. Uh, so he was seen as one of us, yeah. you know, that's the point. And actually, that can, I mean, you know, I, I, I you know, this is the, the, the ironic thing. I never saw Aussie play for mm. Chelsea, which is why it's lovely having you here, because I know you did. But that first game that I talked about when I went to the bridge in 76, it was the cup semi-final between Southampton and Crystal Palace. Don't ask. My dad got me a ticket. But Aussie was playing for Southampton. Yeah. That's the only time I saw him play live. And was he good? He kind of waltzed around as a bit. He, he he was a lot older then. He was playing more. He was playing a much deeper yep. role, more midfield role than for Southampton. Um, but he, you could, you know, players like that, you just can tell by their touch how good they are, what you know, how classy they are. And he, and he, you know, he he certainly still had it. After George Best, he was probably the highest profile player in the country in the late sixties, mm. early seventies. You know, when he scored goals, he celebrated. You, there's film on on YouTube, and they show it on 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 television. When he scored, he celebrated with the fans. He was part of the fans. You know, after the game, the stories. I I knew people who would would queue up to get his autograph, and he'd stop behind, and then he'd go down the Ifield pub. All the team would go down the Ifield pub in Earl's Court, and if you wanted to meet the team, that you could. What cemented his legend for a lot of people? He scored the Chelsea won a. League Cup semi-final at White Hart Lane, second leg. And Oscar went out celebrating with Adam Hudson and Chris Garland and various others. And at 25 past three in the morning in the King's Road, there was an altercation that, that uh, involved Oscar getting arrested for drunken disorderly with one of his friends. Anyway, he was let out of the cells the following morning and probably went straight down the Chelsea drugstore, which is where he'd been drinking the previous night, with, with Alan Hudson. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is, shows a certain sort of elan, really, doesn't it? In, I've got a question for you, Tim. I mean, you know, 
I, I never saw him at his peak playing for Chelsea, but and, and in a sense, there was something quite unique about his style of play. Uh, have there been any players in the modern Chelsea era that are similar to Osgood? Not really, because he he, he could play as a, a traditional centre forward if he had to, but he was probably at his best when he had Ian Hutchinson alongside him, who was a really big, powerful centre forward, and Osgood, Osgood had the touch. I mean. See, he wasn't like a Costa, and he wasn't like a Torres, and he wasn't like a Hasselbank. He was a bit different from, uh, from or, or Drogba. There were elements of, of Drogba with him, but mm. he, he, his his touch and his ability to get away from people, especially when he was young. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, you know, I've seen footage of him after that injury, but that's mm. one thing that always stuck out for me. He, he, I think if one was being kind, you would say that. He he had a really good sense of how to use his energy properly, yep. <laughs> so he he wouldn't do much. But when he mm. had an opportunity, he had an amazing ability to turn on yep. the afterburners and go past somebody and t- take the ball past them. And of course, he had all the skill to do mm. that too. But it's that 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 speed over about five yards. That's what I remember yep. from what I've seen. But what drove Sexton mad was he wouldn't tackle back. No. He would just stand on the halfway line and wait for the ball with his with, with, yeah. teapot. Doing, doing the teapot. teapot, and he would expect Hutchinson and, uh, and Baldwin to do the work. And, you know, Charlie Cook suffered from the same thing, that he was a skillful player who didn't think he had to do the work. And Sexton was very much, we are a yeah. team, yeah. and we will all do the work. But, you know, I, I saw him play probably, I don't know, 15 times in his first... He came back for a couple of years, or a year, at the end of his career, but it, it wasn't the same. And there were times when the whole crowd was just so behind him and I I don't think even Lampard or even Hazard ever had the adulation from mm. the young supporters yeah. that, that he had of course there aren't the young supporters now but the Osgood was it's impossible to overstate how popular he was mm. as George Best was to Manchester United Peter yeah. Osgood was to Chelsea when you say there aren't the young supporters now what do you mean I think they're just priced out of the game to be to be honest the, the, in the late 60s, early 70s, if you wanted to go to a game, you just turned up and paid on the day. And even the big games like Man United or Tottenham that might sell out, if you got there early enough, you got in. There were loads of kids. You'd see film of the Chelsea shed in the early 70s, loads of 14, 15, 16-year-olds. There's very few of them at Stamford Bridge these yeah, days. Yeah, it's a, it's a real tragedy. That's what's happened with modern football, I'm afraid, isn't it? Um, I think, you know, uh, the other thing about Aussie is that his, as you were saying, when he was very popular when he was playing for Chelsea, but his popularity you know, continued way after he stopped playing. I was very lucky to interview him, uh, sadly, about, I don't know, about four months before he died, five months before he died. He was so humble. That's what, uh, you know, struck me. And I'll, just a quick anecdote. He uh, had been at a Legends function uh, before he came back down to Hampshire where I interviewed him. Of course, he was inevitably late, so I had to pour him. He was very kind of nervous and stressed out because he was late, so I had to pour him a very large glass of wine before he'd do the interview, uh, which he uh, gratefully received, as you can imagine. Um, after the interview, which lasted for two, two and a half hours when it was only supposed to be half an hour, which again, you know, marks the mm. generosity of the man. And I thought he'd, he'd, we'd, we'd finished, we'd wrapped the interview and he'd gone. And I was talking to my cameraman. Basically, I managed then to let out all my excitement that I was interviewing you know, one of the greatest ever Chelsea players, and say, I can't believe it. And it's my birthday as well, would you believe? And as I was doing that and losing my, you know, stuff and getting really excited, he walked back in. But no, he didn't walk back in. He kind of ran back in. He looked like an excited schoolboy. And he was clutching 
a picture, uh, the famous picture of the of the diving header he scored in the FA Cup final, and uh, and also a shirt, a signed shirt, because the legends do that he'd been to was Gianfranco Zola, and he'd got Franco to sign it, and he was more interested in showing me the shirt, saying, "Look, look what I got! I've got." I thought got, you were going to say he'd given it to you. For no, no, no. He said, look what I've got. Look what they gave me. I got this from Franco and he signed it. The King of Stamford Bridge. At which point I nearly decked him. and said, no, no, hang on, Ozzy. You're the King of Stamford Bridge <laughs> and you'll always be the King of Stamford Bridge. But there was a real humility to Ozzy, which I don't think a lot of people really, you know, got to see. Well, I think it was that sort of era. The other one is the great goal scorer of the 60s was Bobby Tambling, who's an unbelievably oh, yeah, yeah. humble yeah, man. Yeah, and. Of course, they did. There's pictures of tra- Tambling travelling to games on the tube. I mean, the, the the players these days are so cocooned they just do not meet or engage with any supporters at all. So it's it's a very different world from half a century ago. Although the players obviously are divided from the fans, do you think any of them are still humble in that way? Well, I mean, there are separate cases. I think people generally felt that yet one matter. Mm. Who, oh, who lived yeah. near Chesco was a was a, a nice man and people were respectful to him. He clever was okay. man, clever man indeed. To be honest, I've encountered so few other players. That, well, uh... I, I can vouch for. I have met a few, and and they have actually been fairly decent people. But the best one of all was Frank Lampard, and I got to meet him uh, one of those Cobham visit mm. thingies, yep. and I knew I was going to see him. So I'd, I'd written an article about him many years before in the in CFC Had UK. you written on your eyelashes, like at the beginning of Rangers no, of the Lost No, I, I didn't have to do that. Uh, but no, I'd, I'd written, I'd, I'd brought the copy of the CFC UK fanzine with the article I'd written about him in, which was basically saying he was going to be the greatest Chelsea player ever. And this was written a long time before that was evident. And uh, I just went up to him and said, you know, Frank, could you just sign the article I wrote about you? And he, he took it away. And I just expected just like, yeah, there you go, sign it, off you go. He started reading it. And I mean, there's like loads of people hanging around trying to get Frank to sign. I said, Frank, Frank, seriously, you don't need to read it. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. but, but he did. He insisted on reading it, which was fantastic. And then he didn't sign. No, no, no. He did sign. <laughs> he did sign he talked it. to his lawyers. He yeah. did. <laughs> no, he, he did. It was, a, it was a very positive and uh, effusive article about him. But uh, I thought he was quite humble. So if he comes back to the club, do you think we're going to see a slight closer link between the club and the fans than we have recently. Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah, I, I would think so. I think he is so popular. Um, and the previous manager was not. And, you know, there, there are various reasons for that. But but Lampard is. And you know, he'll, he'll have to keep his distance. And at some point, he's going to make tough decisions. At some point, he's going to have to get rid of, arguably, David Luiz and people like that who are popular with the fans. You can't be a manager and be popular all the time. I think, I think one thing that... that you know, will really, really help is that I think, I mean, this is the bizarre thing. I mean, a lot of managers, well, I say a lot of managers, but certainly Sarri probably got more grief last season uh, than any manager since Benitez. And, you know, Benitez deserved it. You could make a case of saying Sarri didn't really. But I think, and I said it all last season, that a lot of the grief and stick he was getting, I think, had a lot to do with other issues, other underlying issues. And I think a lot of them stem from the massive disconnect that a lot of supporters have uh, you know, with the club, they don't feel loved. They don't feel valued. They don't feel, feel that they're important. So he's the most visible man. So he got the grief. I think that appointing Lampard hopefully will reconnect a lot of supporters with the club. You know, he is he is you know very well loved as we said. He he seems to get Chelsea, whatever that means. But I think that will help reconnect a lot of supporters with the club, Tim. Because it's at the end of the season, the whole issue with Baku. 
and the way that that was handled by the club and by UEFA. Even some of the most loyal fans, people who go to 50-odd games a season who couldn't afford to go to back or couldn't get the time off or what have you or didn't fancy it, um, it caused huge alienation with the club and I think the, the club now realise that. But I think the appointment of Lampard will, will wash a lot of that away at a stroke. Mm, well, hopefully he can take the club forward and do it without letting the stadium fall down. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> The week. This is Love Sport. It's the Chelsea Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio, where we're joined in the studio by Tim Rolls, author of Stamford Bridge is Falling Down. Tim, obviously a difficult period in the club's history. Are there parallels with the current Chelsea? To be honest, I, there there are some. I think um, in that you know they had an issue redeveloping the ground. We have a current issue. The owner wants, well, the, the club wants to redevelop the ground, but for whatever reason, to do with you know nothing to do with football, that, that that's not happening. But there are so many differences. The club are, are well are well funded. The club are, are, are strong. They've got a solid base. You know, compared with 1972, 73, 74, when it was obvious the club didn't have any money, that the team wasn't good enough, the support was 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 dropping off. The, the stadium. They they had a three sided stadium for two years. It was the whole thing was a was a, a farce really. So I I think there's there's there aren't real parallels. I think Chelsea is so much stronger now than they were forty five years ago. But I think there are there are parallels in a sense. And and I was kind of you know kind of digging around with that earlier on. And that is that you would have said up till you know kind of I was I would imagine the nineties certainly kind of present day that that side that that. Uh, uh, Doherty created was the greatest Chelsea side of all time. You know they'd won, uh, they'd won the FA Cup. They, you know, they'd, they'd mm. consistently finished in the top five. You know they'd run other sides quite close for the league title yep. a few years, uh, and they'd won a European trophy. Yep. Um, that was the greatest side that all of us had seen in our lifetimes to date. Yep. And it was beginning to fall apart. You know, key players weren't being replaced. Key players were being sold, and lesser quality players were coming in. We are seeing exactly that now. We are, but I don't think there's any. There's no dangerous going. There's no bust dangerous going. Bust. I agree with that, but there are there's no dangers in the management uh, of us, be, us being relegated. And I, I, I believe in a year's time, when the transfer ban is over, that we will buy players of a sufficient quality. We did not have that option. You, you say that, but I mean, number one, you know, Chelsea. I think have been unwilling to compete over the last five mm-hmm. years in terms of the money. I mean, it's not to say we haven't spent any money because clearly we have, but we're not the big fish in the sea anymore that was spending the most money on transfers. And we're not prepared to duke it out with the likes of uh, City and PSG, Barcelona, Real Madrid these days. But on the other hand, by not spending money now, you build up that old thorny word, uh, war chest. Yeah, but you can't spend time. a war chest because of FFP. Well, you can. In 12 months' time, we can. If we've got the money from the Hazard deal... And we've we started selling yeah, yeah. we started selling youngsters. You know, we sold Callis. Well, and we're talking up. about that, that we got what forty players on loan, and the rules yeah. are changing. Right. So yeah. you're going to have to flog. But, okay, yeah. what's yeah. the the average the average transfer fee at the moment is ridiculously high, as we were yeah. saying earlier on with Kovacic is fifty yeah. million p fee. I mean, it's like I would say the average is about thirty to forty million now. Um, if you sold uh, every single one of those loanees, half of whom aren't ever going to come back mm. to Chelsea for ten million. That's four hundred million. Well, indeed. I mean, I, I don't think we get that much, but there, there is a case if we've got eight million for Callas. Well, on average. Well, 
So we could easily get 200 million. You see, that, that's, mm. that's a Still significant... A lot of money. That is a lot of yeah. money. Now, you know, the other clubs, it, the market may end up being flooded. You can't just sell 40 players at once. But we could certainly get rid of over a period of time. And I think maybe that's... You know, they've got better check-in. I think that I'm sure they'll strengthen the, the mm. way that they tr- do it in a systematic way. You can't have a fire sale, but it will bring in si- significant revenue over the next there is 18, a plan 24 there. months. I, I'm sure there is a plan there. Yeah, and I mean, I'll be honest with you, Tim, because I've been under the, illu- uh, the not, not the illusion, I've been under the impression that there hasn't been a plan at this club for about the last 15 years. Well, but I'm beginning to maybe think that there might be. The appointment of Czech, yeah. Lampard comes back, a lot of the very Chelsea-centric backroom mm-hmm. staff maybe integrating some of the youth at last, a judicious selling of uh, some of the loanees, you know, the, the kind of loan farm that we talked about, uh, in order to provide the finance to go and buy decent players yeah. rather than having to, you know, compete with the likes of City in terms of our own inherent wealth. That's a plan. Yeah, it is a plan. And I think, you know, you get the impression the club are trying to strengthen and they're in terms of their commercial activity. But if we sold four or five decent loan players in each of the next four windows and got 25, 30, 40 million for them, that, that could get us 130, 150 million pounds yeah. without, without weakening the first team because these are guys that are not going to get in the first team. It's not like you're selling Hazard, who's your best player. So is the upshot of this that you want Chelsea to go into the market when you're allowed to and spend big money? I would say so. If you want to compete at the top level, we've lost one of the six best players in the world in Eden Hazard. We're not going to replace him this summer. We... It, gives a focal point to the team to have a top quality player. City have got two or three of them. Liverpool have got a couple. We need to get at least one. Well, I think, you know, Joe wrote, Joe Tweeds wrote a blog about this. I wrote a very similar blog about it. But I think there's, there's a, a mix you need and there's a mix that we can have. But I think your aspiration and I think Chelsea's aspiration certainly has to be, you know, winning the Champions League again. You know, there's no point going in there and doing it once. You know, even Aston Villa won it once. We need to be competing there far more regularly and trying to win it. But I think you can do it, but you need four to five world-class players to do that. Yep. But you can have four to five world-class players. You can have some promising uh, youth players uh, in the squad, and you can have some tried and trusted players that you've had for a few years, and you can still have a good, balanced team that, c- that can compete. Yep. You don't have to have a team full of 11 world-class players. No, no you don't need 11, but you need, you're right, exactly. you need at least three or four. And you, that is affordable. Yep. That's my point. Yep. You, know, you, you don't have to buy four or five every year. No. You buy one every year. Yep. You can afford to do that. How long do you think it'll be before Chelsea will realistically be looking at winning the Premier League again? God, blimey, that's a good question. I would say three seasons. Really? Yeah. God, you're optimistic. Well, at least three seasons. Yeah. We've I done mean, it before. No one thought we would win no, it in true. 2015 or 2017. It, it, City underachieved. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You, you never know, do no. you? And I mean, Leicester, of course, yep. won it as well. I mean, if, if City and Liverpool keep playing seasons like they've just done, and with the wealth that they both have, actually, yep. but certainly City, it makes it very, very hard. But Tim's right. Anything can happen. Yeah. And, you know, if they have duff seasons, you're in. Or Guardiola goes or Klopp yep. leaves. Yep. You know. Tim, I was interested by your comment about a world-class player giving the team a focal point. Because on the one hand, that's very true. On the other, we've got Maurizio Sarri's comments, where having a star could potentially imbalance the rest of the team. Is the absence of Hazard actually an opportunity to build a balanced side? The problem is, if Hazard hadn't been in the side last season, we were saying this earlier, mm. we, we'd have struggled to qualify for the Europa League because he was <laughs> so important to us. So unless you have 
a team of, if you like, Leicester maybe weren't weren't real stars, but they were a real team. But if you haven't got someone who at the top level who can who can do something different game and changes. be a match, the game changer, yeah. a match winner, then it's very 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 difficult. And other top teams have got them. See, Arsenal haven't got that. And look at them. They're struggling. Well, Aubameyang, could you not argue? Golden boot winner. But not... Not in Hazard's n- league. N- not in Hazard's league, I wouldn't say. It's, it's interesting with Spurs. I think Spurs' best player is Ericsson. And it looks like he might be leaving. Yeah. So I think they might struggle. Mm. Uh, well, it could be a chance for Chelsea. It's yeah. sounding like Lampard will be coming in. You guys I'm obviously feeling yeah. positive. And actually, it would be some story yeah. if he brought some of the kids in, like, of course, in that era of the early 70s. But they are ready. And actually, you crack on. And if Lampard gets anything like top six, it's an incredible achievement. Yeah. If he gets top four, it's frankly water into yeah. wine territory. Uh, and lots to look forward to anything as Chelsea fans. Anything can happen. Gents, it's been a wonderful show. Uh, thank you for joining me. Stanford Chidge, lovely to have you back. And Tim Rolls, author of Stanford Bridge is Falling Down. When can people get hold of it? Well, you can crowdfund. I'm crowdfunding at the moment. If you Google my name and Kickstarter, which is the crowdfunding platform, it will take you to a link where you can you can find out more about the book what crowdfunding means and how you can make a pledge wonderful stuff tim rolls there author of stamford bridge is falling down get crowdfunding and see you next week thanks for downloading this podcast from love sport radio for more go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts news and views or for more follow us at love sport radio on twitter It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.